1: At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room?
0: And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin, joined again today by Josh Blank, research director for the Texas Politics Project. Welcome back, Josh. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure to be here again in the studio with Josh uh, on the campus of UT Austin. Um, we've been on hiatus for a couple of weeks. I think hiatus is, I've always liked like hiatus yeah, well, it's, since it's so non-explanatory,
1: but it sounds like it's a fun, like the hijinks may have it's, ensued it sounds while like you're something on hiatus, you, did, you know,
0: on purpose in kind of vaguely Latin terms. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so we've been on hiatus for a couple of weeks of the holidays end of the semester, uh, a little travel, inevitably this has all altered everyone's schedules, but we're back this week um, and we thought, being back this week, we'd look at some of the more interesting Texas 2022 races, how they're shaping up as as 2021 limps to an end. And by limp, I mean this is like end of the Terminator limp. I mean, like missing an arm, missing a leg, dragging through. Remember, remember when 2021 started? <laughs> yeah, it's like woo. This is <laughs> so like... glad 2020's over. Uh, we're gonna hear a lot of that, I think, in the next two weeks. So we want uh, We won't belabor that. Um, let's start in the middle of the ticket and talk a little bit about the texas attorney general race and you and i've been talking about this offline a bit as have many people i mean this this race has been interesting for a while as a result of the perceived vulnerability of incumbent republican ken paxton and i want to want to put a pin on perceived vulnerability because we mm-hmm. should come back to that um but paxton from the you know early on drew a, a crowded field of fairly interesting challengers right i mean
1: yeah. I mean, I think, you know, part of the attention to this in some sense is is, is a reflection of the field, too. Right? I mean, part of it you already raised, which is there's this perceived vulnerability, which we'll come back to. And then I think, you know, the other reason it's obviously generating a lot of attention is that there are three, you know, there have been three, we'll say, throughout, you know. And I mean, I, I always want to say well-known candidates, but that's not true because they're not well-known. But let's say they're, but they're, but they're interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, this this is the issue, right? This is why it's interesting. You say, well, is it three formidable candidates? It's like, well, you know, I'm not sure about that. And it's like, well, but it what's It's It's three candidates who have electoral experience, well, right? Yeah. You know, and that's I think on that, I think right. that's the important thing here is they have three candidates who you know in at least two cases have run statewide, have raised money. Well, actually, you know, and in the case of now Representative Gomert, have has his own sort of you know I would say following and brand within the GOP in the state. Right. So that's you know so there's definitely reason to pay attention. At the same time, it's a, you know, it's sort of like, it's a lot of, there's a lot of ifs, thens kind of pieces to this that are sort of right. hard to suss out. And it's it's interesting because, I mean, I think both of us have talked to a lot of reporters about this race. And I'd almost say, I would almost say surprisingly, but not. So, what I just said at the outset, is like, this is a very interesting race on its face, but it's actually a lot more interesting for other reasons, probably. Right. right? So,
0: so, just to get it clear. So, we've got former Texas Supreme Court Justice Eva Guzman, mm-hmm. Land Commissioner George P. Bush. And now Congressman Louis Gohmert, who I think is not filed yet, though, which he may never. I mean, that he might not. The filing deadline is Monday. Yeah, and we're recording this on Thursday before the filing deadline of Monday. Um, and we had briefly uh, Matt Krauss, right? A current state legislator, not running for re-election. Um, and then Gohmert got in, and Krauss got out.
1: Yeah, to run uh, for I think. The county, county attorney, the c- county I think. Attorney, yeah. yeah.
0: I think that's right. Um, so, so what did you? So you said you know this is like it's interesting on the face of it for all the reasons you were laying out. I mean, right. at least for people that follow Ser- politics, people know who Eva Guzman is. Yeah. People know who George P. Bush is. Obviously, George P. Bush has been, you know, a character now, if if only a supporting <laughs> character uh, in Texas politics for a while. Son of Jeb Bush um for a lot for a while seen as a potential new face of the republican party yeah. in texas um that's become complicated shall we say yeah and so you know there is a sense that this is not you know as you were saying like it's interesting it's not it's competitive is it not is it you know or it's interesting more interesting for this or that reason i mean i think one of the things we have to do have to step back and look is that you know we haven't had very many repu- competitive Republican primaries in the last couple of cycles. Right. You know, little bit here, you know, little glimmers here and there. But certainly statewide. There's just not been a lot that's cl- gone on really since twenty
1: fourteen. Yeah, I was gonna say the closest that I can think of is Dan Patrick, you know, winning right. that primary against Dewhurst and Staples yeah. and Patterson, right? Yeah,
0: and there was yeah, and there was there, and there was a bit of competition. That Comptroller's race was competitive that year. I mean, twenty fourteen was there was some business going on. There were some open, you know, there were open, but they were, on, but they were opening. I mean, there, there was, was an open but, office at the gubernatorial level, right?
1: I mean, the open yeah. office made for some shifting, whereas this is, you know, I mean, I mean, let's take a step back. Why is this less interesting than it appears? Let me just right. say that first. So, so real quick, the case for that is that, you know, Paxton's uh, job approval among Republicans basically sits in the same place as, as Dan Patrick's. For the most part. Right. Which is which so you what, know, say, mid to high
0: mid mid-sixties?
1: Yeah. Mid-high sixties. Yeah. So six you know, sixty-five percent approve of the job Paxton's doing among Republicans, twelve disapprove. You know, Patrick, who we're not talking about at all because we assume he's perfectly safe, sits at sixty-seven approve, nine disapprove. So it's not as though there's like a wellspring of, you know, dissatisfaction with Ken Paxton. And the other piece I think about this that's important is that, you know, Ken Paxton has spent you know, since before going to the attorney general's office, really, you know, cultivating a brand in a relationship with, yeah. you know, activated constituencies in the Republican primary. And ultimately, he doesn't really look as vulnerable as I think the context around which we're looking at the race makes it appear. But this is where it gets kind of interesting, right? So I think, you know, you think about – you know, to me, I think about Bush and, and Guzman in some ways like a kind of like the institutional lane. There seems to be kind of two right. lanes, right? There's the institutional lane and then there's the the more familiar right lane, you know, basically. who can be, Who is the most conservative? Now, ultimately, Ken Paxson has been pretty conservative as attorney general. Yeah. We, we, I don't know. We haven't talked about this in a long time, but just as a quick thing just to throw this out there. This is something the attorney general gets to do, right? I mean, for yeah. the most part, they get to choose when they're going to file suit. They put out press releases. They have a lot of ability to select the issues that they want to emphasize. And Paxton, like Abbott before him, has done this really well to advance sort of, yeah. I think, his political brand. So, the, you know, if anything, the, you know, if I take it all at face value, sort of the the Krauss jumping in the race kind of is, the, you know, the quote unquote true conservative and then Gomer jumping in and him jumping out on its face kind of says how small that lane probably is to begin with I mean, well
0: you know yeah well you know the lane itself is reasonably large but paxton is occupying yeah, it yeah right, right. The, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. how Maybe, much room there is yeah, in how the many lane. lanes
1: are on the highway there's not right. yeah, there's a shoulder over here right? right
0: and just you know i mean just not that anybody listening to this doesn't know this but just as you know just to set the background and also you know ken paxton has been under indictment um, first, for some you know tax right. and and business practice issues, and now
1: some issues with you know at the SEC and filings. Right, and, and of... now is
0: involved in you know some legal issues that have to do with people that worked with him well, yeah. who filed complaints about how he had handled the job. Shall we say?
1: Well, I think that's a very generous way to describe. Well, I'm a generous guy, but I mean, but this is but this is the issue here. Actually, I mean, right. some to some extent. I mean, this is where it gets more interesting to me. I don't think that Paxton per se is is in trouble in this primary, and the main reason is Bush is the most well-known opponent of his. And Republicans and conservative Republicans are split on him. Thirty-four percent have a favorable view; twenty-eight percent have an unfavorable view. Those who describe themselves ex- as extremely conservative, he's underwater. Twenty-eight have a favorable view; thirty-nine have an unfavorable view. We could go into a whole speculation as to well, is this, right. you know is it the Alamo, is it Dan Patrick, is it the Bush brand. It's not really the point here, but the point is to say he's not as formidable as he looks. It's almost
0: certainly all of the above.
1: Yeah. And and Guzman is largely unknown to most candidates. So so what's interesting to me about this is when do when and how strongly do Bush and Guzman make the case that, look, you know, the attorney general might be a liability in the general election if the FBI investigation advances to a certain point between now and next November. But I don't think that that necessarily hurts him in this primary. The thing yeah. is, is if they're aggressive about it, it becomes part of the campaign against him in the fall. Right.
0: I mean, you know, we should also mention. So, you know, you were talking about public opinion and and the reads of that. And, and in the you know, we we did a trial ballot in October, which, you know, we wouldn't I wouldn't read very much into at this point. And Paxson was at, what, 48, 49? Yeah,
1: he, I mean, he was at 48%. He was at 57% among strong Republicans. He's at 66% among those who say they're extremely conservative. You know, I mean. Yeah.
0: It, I mean, it suggests that, I mean, and, and, you know, he has played this. I mean, you know, lest we forget, I mean, he was under indictment last time he ran and won. Mm-hmm. But both, it was a
1: close race. I mean, I think there, you know, there's, yeah. there's an institutional reason
0: why. He's attracting more challengers. Yeah.
1: Right. But ultimately, I think, you know, neither neither challenger has been super aggressive at this point. It seems to me about, you know, raising the issues that they're really concerned right. about. And I'm not sure if they're going to. Well, the other piece of
0: this that's interesting going into a primary is that there's been some, you know, some divisions in, you know, the traditionally relatively unified interest group community and that Texans for Lawsuit Reform has endorsed Guzman. Yeah. Which, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows and suggested that there is some at least perception of vulnerability there.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And that's I think that, you know, that also has to be baked into this. I mean, we're in a we're in a kind of shadow campaign stage right now where there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of active seeking of endorsements out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I still think a lot would have to happen to unseat Paxton. Yeah. I think the question really is just how much damage is done to him in addition to what else is out there before he goes into the general. Because, you know, Justin Nelson ran a pretty formidable campaign with the you know against Paxton last time with the whole premise being to say indicted attorney general. And now it becomes indicted under FBI investigation attorney general. And the right. thing, people already heard the other one. So, I mean, this is, yeah, you know, it, it does create it creates an issue.
0: Well, I mean, let me say this. You, I mean, you seem like, you know, you're you're sort of saying that you don't think, I mean, but is I mean, how much trouble does he have to be in with this many people in the field running theoretically at least legit campaigns with some resources mm-hmm. which I think Guzman and Bush and probably Gomert will have uh to get in to to not make 50%. I mean, that's obviously the yeah, game here. Yeah, that's the
1: that's the big game here. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I mean, I think
0: that's a, you know, that's a trickier
1: that's proposition. Tr- well, I mean, I guess the question, well, here's a question for you. I mean, you know, do All you right. think... Well, well, let me well, ask let you. Me, I mean, do you think that he's more in trouble in this primary or in the general?
0: Oh, uh, I think he's almost certainly more in trouble in the primary.
1: But that's, but do you think it's a lot of trouble?
0: Um, I think it's enough trouble that they've got to tr- try pretty hard. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think, you know, I mean, when, I don't think when is the last time Ken Paxton had to try in a primary? Probably never even going back to when he was in the Senate. I mean, I, you know, trouble is a big word. But I mean, I think that they, you know, they are not in a position of being able to assume that they're going to get out of the primary without a runoff right now.
1: Well, see, I mean, the there's
0: thing- just too many. I mean, I just think there's too many candidates. and too- That doesn't mean that they can't make it happen if they can't push somebody out of the race or,
1: see, I, you know. Here's why I'm skeptical. Yeah. And I call it to be skeptical just because it's the same reason we're not talking about any other races in some ways or why we're talking about so few other races is because, you know, the perception is that there's this, you know, strong set of candidates. And part of it is, well, relative to what? And it's like, well, relative to, you know, if we say Lee Merritt and Joe Jaworski on the Democratic side, who nobody knows. Right. Right. And it's going to be a struggle for them from now until November to become known to people. Right. And I look at you know basically Paxton and say, yeah, there's some people that insiders definitely know, and obviously the interest view, you you know group universe is moving around and kind of thinking about the long term game. But I think for most you know sort of Republican primary, there's two things. One, you know, Ken Paxton is one of the good guys among that group. Yeah. You know, it's like I mean, it's like not only you know is he good with Trump, he was at the January 6th rally. I mean, nobody can like you know express their bona fides more in some really weird, <laughs> twisted way, right? Yes.
0: I'm trying to think of a good comparative comparative analogy to using your presence at the January well, 6th I mean, rally this, as a bona fide, but I don't know. Well, this was
1: sick. I was thinking I was thinking about this this morning. I don't want to be
0: too flip with that. Well, I
1: mean, just in, 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 it, at risk of being too flip, I was thinking this morning about if Gomert became the main sort of antagonist, and the idea of you know Ken Paxton saying, "Hey." You were on the wrong side of that rally,
0: right? Because you weren't. You there. were on the
1: inside, right? <laughs> I mean, like, so I mean, you know, who knows? I, I, I
0: guess, I guess, I guess, I agree with all of that. I just think numbers-wise, there's a matter of incentives. I mean, I think if you're Guzman, you're Bush, and if, and especially if you there's a fourth candidate, if Gomert does in fact file for the race, um, you know, the threshold is just dramatically lowered for all of them. Yeah. Right. And for all of them, for all of the challengers, I mean, what you're doing is you're competing for.
1: Yeah. You each want to get 20% and you want to get, Yeah, if you
0: get 20%, you're,
1: yeah, you're probably okay. You're great.
0: Right. So I, you know,
1: I'm skeptical,
0: you know, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a sure thing, but I think that, you know, it's again, it's a classic damning with faint praise. I don't think any of them have to do very much all of all three of them just have to do enough to push it into a runoff, and then, you know, now then, uh, you know, the conventional wisdom, if you're an incumbent that gets pushed in a runoff, you're at a pretty serious disadvantage, right? right? And you know, the conventional wisdom is, you know, often you know more the former than the latter. But I mean, I you know, I, it will be the story that comes out of the election if you know all things being equal, if Paxton winds up you know, having to go into a runoff on this.
1: I'm just not sure that there's even 50% of Republican primary voters who have opinions about the other three well, candidates. Well, they, no, no, they don't right well, I'm now. I'm saying overlapping, right? Those but see, are... but, that's
0: the, that's, but I guess that's the point about, you know, the interest group universe. So if you're Eva Guzman mm-hmm. and you can raise at least some money and you've got Texans for Lawsuit Reform and some associated groups... Willing to start, you know, making, you know, as many phone calls and mailings as they possibly can for you. Can you get yourself to 20% or move enough people off him? I mean, I just think it's not. But it's good. But if you're going to do that, it's
1: going to have to be on these charges of basically corruption, you know, corruption. And and this one's in a
0: pretty good position for that, given her political. Yeah, I
1: guess I wonder how much the interest. I mean, I guess the question then becomes is the interest group universe you know comfortable now that they've gone as far as to make the endorsement going a step further well i you know and torching him
0: i think there's no going back now yeah (laughs) i mean i mean i think that decision has been i think that question has been asked and answered among some of these groups and look i'm surprised i'm I'm a little surprised by it given that you know this is not the only paxton in the political system right now yeah (laughs) and you know where there is a state senator who's I'm sure there's, you know, a Chinese wall being built here in some ways.
1: Really? As I recall, the sure? senator. Sure? Don't be so sure. As I
0: recall, the senator was also at the rally. Right. Um. So you know, I mean, I think there's a, there's a, you know, there's some interesting fluidity to this. You know, I guess, I guess, I think the point is, I would just say this. I mean, I would not bet much on this going to a runoff, but I, you know. I'd bet a little, and if you gave me some points, I'd probably put a little bit on it because just because just because of the numbers. But we'll see. So let's let, but let's let's switch over now and look. That you mentioned um, the other side, the general election. We also had a little bit of you know we've we've seen a little bit of movement in this as well. Um, but there are you know there is an uh, you know, there is a field of of candidates, and I'm wondering I'm kind of wondering why Justin Nelson isn't running again.
1: Yeah, I I mean. I mean, this is you know, but this is again. He was certainly
0: bullish on his effort last time.
1: Well, you know, and this kind of and came
0: close. Objectively, it seems like he'd want to come back.
1: Well, I think this goes back to something that you know, like we we talk about this stuff a lot. Like you know, so what are the set pieces and what are the you know, what are the short term factors? Mm -hmm. And it just you know, I mean, I can't help but look across all this and say, you know, this or this one race we're looking at. You know, it's the attorney general's race right now, and there's a reason for yeah. it. It's a vulnerability, But it's also, you know, because of these candidates there. But one of the things about all those about this, and it's sort of, the, you know, I think it cuts across all the races. Is Texas is so damn big. It's yeah. so expensive. And this is a reason for someone like Justin Nelson to run again. He's already put himself out there. A lot of people have voted for him. Right. As,
0: as he repeatedly pointed out.
1: Yes, <laughs> he repeatedly pointed out. <laughs> you know, he's very bullish <laughs> on his chances. But. Part of the issue, you know, you've brought this up before, which is, you know, Democrats, you know, it's sort of hard to get Democrats to run multiple times, and I think especially statewide, where yeah. it's such a grueling, you know, pr- you know, it's just such a grueling endeavor when you don't have the power and come, so you can't, you know, you're not Ken Paxson who can sit there and basically just put out a press release, and you know, create right. some news for yourself and put your name around something you got to work and you got to raise a ton yeah. of money there's a ton of markets and so i mean to some extent i would say like it's on the on the part of democrats it's lame that they can't get candidates to run more often but also you have to just acknowledge it like it's really hard it's hard for anyone trying to challenge an incumbent within a primary it's hard for anyone trying to challenge the incumbents in the general election and so we seem to get this sort of rotating cast of characters but very little repeats
0: yeah and again there are you know there are candidates in the race on the other side and i don't want to you know zero that out but I mean I think it is striking that you know and there was a lot of discussion during the legislature about you know there were always rumblings that some of the people that are involved in in kind of criminal justice and legal stuff uh, on the democratic side particularly in the center you know yeah. thinking about getting in the AG's race and none of that has really materialized yeah. and you know I mean and I look I get it I mean the objective structural conditions right now
1: Yeah, we'll talk about this some other podcast. But I was looking into uh, legislative turnover this last week. because kind of you know, there's been a lot of attention on the number of retirements we've seen in the legislature. And you know, too long didn't read version is is, it looks pretty normal actually, especially kind of around a redistricting cycle. You know, right now 29 uh, people in the House or Senate have either said they're retiring or or seeking a different office. The average, not including this session, is about 30. Now, admittedly, we'll have primaries or general elections, but since we're coming out of the redistricting process, we're not really going to add that many changes after that probably i mean we might add a, a few but it's not going to be like a in terms yeah. of high watermarks for session turnover not likely to be unless something you know something yeah. happens
0: well and it's still not you know i you know i think we've not probably quite seen you know i we'll we'll see in the next but, few days how many, how much more turnover we see
1: but to connect this back i mean yeah. what's interesting i think over the the more recent term that you know people might not kind of appreciate is that most of the retirements have been on the republican side yeah so more often than not, when we look at these retirements, it's Republicans who are retiring. Now, sort of there's a, also
0: more upward mobility. There's more. Well, there's this, a, is, well yeah. this is the
1: thing. There's, and this is why I, never, I you know I'm working, we're writing something up and I'm working, you know, part of it is like there's all kinds of ways you can interpret this data. But one of the possibilities is for, you know, if you look at Republicans, you're right, right? There's more upward mobility. Uh, so ultimately, but and that's the other the flip side of that is for Democrats, there's not more upward mobility. There's a smaller number of seats. Right. And so, you know, when you've got one. It's not yeah. like you can just jump to another position unless you're going to go say be the mayor of Houston, right? For no, example, and I, and I, you know, I, I didn't
0: mean yeah. to pick on the Democratic no, senators no, 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 just, per se, but
1: no, I'm just I'm just pointing out. I mean, but I mean, I think it's just a, a fact. I mean, I think we've had conversations with yeah. with you know Democrats before where they basically say to the effect, you know, well, you know, this is working. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. over the well, years,
0: yeah, and and you know, you're giving up something for, you know, a long shot at, at nothing, and so I mean, I get that, but I, I and I. That does bring attention then to, you know, some of the other things that have been happening in some of the other races. Um, you know, in the Democrat, you know, you mentioned uh, how Dan Patrick, you know, was you know right. roughly the the position that in terms of his job approval among Republicans, that Paxton was not much happening on that side in that race. But it's been a little frothy in the lieutenant governor's side on the Democratic side. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: A little frothy. Yep.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, yes. a wee bit, <laughs> a wee bit. So Matthew Dowd jumped in that race to, you know, some degree of, of, uh, I, I would say national, if not state acclaim.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. You know, I mean,
0: he got a lot of, you know, I mean, I mean, ironically, I mean, I think, you know, Matthew Dowd is probably better known to a national audience than he is to a state audience as, as we found in our polling yeah, when we pulled so. on him. But, you know, Matthew got in and then he got out. <laughs>
1: Well, he, clear, he cleared the way. His, yeah. his work here was done. <laughs> yeah, know? so
0: Matthew Dowd announced earlier this week that he'd be suspending his campaign for the nomination for lieutenant governor. And, and you know, the announcement was interesting, that he would be clearing the way for a more diver, a diverse field. And he was, you know, he looks forward to, you know, continuing the fight against Trumpism, et cetera, I think.
1: You know, I mean, this is like a separate conversation, maybe for another time. But I think about, you know, Dowd, I think about Krauss- and I think about McConaughey as like, you know, just kind of using the space that was provided to sort of lift their name IDs. And Almost certainly
0: the, the only time that Matt Krause will ever be mentioned in the same conversation as Matthew McConaughey and Matthew
1: Dowd. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, look, I'm not a conspiratorial person. This isn't even conspiracy. This is just, you know, tactics. I mean, I kind of wonder how serious Krause was about the AG race and whether yeah. he wasn't all along kind of, you know, by sort of. Shooting for the AG race and saying, well, you know, but actually I'm going to go back to the county. It's like, well, you did the book list. You got the you know round of right. articles about the AG race. And now, you know, it's a pretty good. I mean, honestly, it's a pretty good strategic ploy if it were a strategic ploy right. to get your name out there. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. But the space was there. It seems like a lot of people are using this space, at least in a way that I haven't seen recently. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, it's funny as you were talking about that and that, you know, you do see people move around around this point in the cycle. Yeah. You know, it's also a cyclical thing. I think, you know, you were talking about redistricting in terms of turnover. That's another thing. You know, there's a certain amount of just, you know, disruption that's happened and shifting around that has consequences downstream. Um, You know, this is also happening as Michelle Beckley is in that race, Mm -hmm. uh, state representative. Who has decided that she will run for lieutenant for the nomination? And she was lieutenant. basically
1: redistricted, right? Out. And she
0: got yeah. She was somebody who got one of the one of the you know. Interestingly, I think we talked about yeah. this last time we were together. It was an interesting part of the strategy that Republicans took in terms of protecting many incumbent Democrats, although singling some out, particularly in the House, for right. well, also in the Senate, singling a few a few Democrats out for um, um, some negative. Attention and redistricting. Beckley was one of those. Um, And then we've also got a new entrance in the governor's race. And I think you did a media hit on this yesterday. I did. Um, Joy Diaz, who I guess in some form of disclosure, disclosure, we've both done, I think we've both done stuff. I've definitely done stuff with Joy over the years when she was at KUT and then uh, uh, on the Texas Standard. I was a little surprised by this. Yeah. I mean, not that you, you know, I mean, it's great by, you know, whatever free country. But I, you know, if you had said, hey, would you have thought that Joy Diaz was going to run for governor? I don't think there would have been very many people. I haven't asked people at KUT, but.
1: Well, she's She's running for the Democratic nomination for governor and she's got a pretty big uphill fight. To, right. to, to claim that nomination first and foremost, I mean, I was, you know, it's funny. You know, I mean, this sort of this is like only partially about Joy Diaz, but it's sort of something that's going on now a lot. Which another sort of set of like versions of questions I get a lot are basically to explain whatever just happened via the lens of South Texas and, and the right. Rio Grande Valley, and like this has happened multiple times, and I, you know, and I understand the impulse. But, I mean, what I was, you know, so, so with someone's basically guess, was like, well, is this, you know, is, is Beto going to have a problem in the Valley because, you know, she's got right. a Hispanic name, she's a woman, you know, all this. And I was like, you know, to me, honestly, you know, the surname thing is sort of helpful around the margins. I think the fact that she was on KUT and statewide NPR radio where a lot yeah. of Democrats probably heard her is a bigger advantage than her last name, she actually probably has some general awareness amongst you know like a group that probably includes a lot of democratic primary voters just to be honest but ultimately you know it's i mean if she didn't have that experience would we be like even mentioning her at all it's it's, it's interesting i i'll say one other thing i mean There was a whole thing last primary where, like, oh, Beto underperformed in the Valley. When we looked at that, right? right? And we said, well, first of all, you know, he was still getting majority votes in most of the counties, number one. Number two, if you go back and you look at his campaign schedule, and this is sort of an interesting broader point, but he didn't spend any time in South Texas leading up to that Democratic primary. He was around the big cities. And just say, well, taking
0: time to go to all the, you know, remember the whole. All the counties. Yeah.
1: But also, like, he was spending most of his time in that primary where most of the votes are. Yeah. And that's something about first this frame, which is, you know, number one, you know, the RGV accounts for like a little bit under 3% of the statewide vote total. If Greg Abbott is spending all of his time in the RGV and Beto O'Rourke is spending all of his time in the RGV, then it's a pretty competitive election we got going right. on. Like, so let's just, you know, I mean, there's further sort of, you know, optics of this and, you know, trying to create a story. But I think this is a different campaign for O'Rourke in that he's already spending bunch much time in the Valley because you know what? He doesn't really need to be on every college campus. Right. He already has a lot of the Democratic vote. I wouldn't say locked up, but, you know, at least it's his to lose. And so that's sort of, I mean, not to, you know, count Joy Diaz out before she runs, but, like, it's just a different race than it was last time.
0: Right. And there were people that tried to make, as I recall, and I, you know, I'm just thinking about this so I didn't prepare it for the podcast. There were people who tried to make hay of the fact that, you know, in the 2018 primary... You know, there was a Hispanic surname candidate that Mm -hmm. was polling reasonably well going in, but I don't think that came to much... When we finally when we saw the final vote totals as I well, recall well
1: she did she did okay in some of the South Texas counties and things right. like that they used. but again I mean you kind of go back and you say I mean everybody again was saying well' Rourke's not yeah it's like we got like the most votes of any Democrat in a primary up until that point I mean you know right. I was saying this sort of jokingly in something else recently that I was at which is you know there's these sort of expectations that we learn that people apparently always had but that they don't tell us about until after we actually get the election results and then they can tell us how how someone underperformed right and it's like well look Put a number out there. I mean, I just say you know, I again, mean, I don't, I don't care, but it's like you know, if a you know, if people feel like a needs to be above some threshold, say what that threshold is right now. Right. Don't wait until after we have the primaries and a gets like sixty-five, seventy yeah. percent of the vote. So, well, if he's not getting eighty percent of the vote, clearly, there's oh,
0: there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like let's just let's just take it easy.
0: Well, I think, you know, I think th- so I think Joy Diaz being in the race is an interesting development, I think, yeah. and, uh, you know, for a lot of the reasons you're kind of alluding all to. I also,
1: I mean, just her natural, you know, her history and her experience are going to give her an advantage. And, you know, yeah. she's someone who can, she can go in public, she can talk. Yeah, she's not going like- to have
0: to learn how to answer, que- ask and answer questions. Exactly. She's not, you know, yeah. I mean- she,
1: adv- she definitely has advantages to other candidates, but right. she also has a major disadvantage, which is her name's not Beto O'Rourke and she's not known to 100% of Democratic voters. So, uh-
0: I want to finish a little bit just on, like, I I do want to talk just for the last couple minutes. I mean, so we've had, you know, the Dowd bubble, the McConaughey bubble. You know, there's an interesting dynamic here that, you know, reporters have been talking about going in. And, of course, you know, you and I have been on the podcast and certainly, you know, to reporters – You know, sort of dour about these things and a little really generous. Yeah. Yeah. Dower is even. Yeah. I mean, Dower, I think, was good for the mood of the state last time. It's probably a little mild for how we've been about this. But, (laughs) you know, there is something very interesting, you know, in the kind of media, you know, the intersection of the media environment and politics about how these flashy objects appear in the Democrat, particularly in the Democrats field division and then really just don't play out. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, and I think, you know, we probably spent a lot of time talking about context, and it really is interesting how much, how context is so important for these campaigns to achieve takeoff. And there's this, and I think there's something really in the moment, like, there are these fantasies that there's like a third branch centrist approach out there. Yeah. That, you know, both Dowd and McConaughey kind of tossed out there you know dowd you know had a legitimate i think you know well thought out i mean whether you think it was effectual or not mm-hmm. but you know being in, involved in these kind of third way movements yeah. and organizations and stuff you know mcconaughey and i think a significantly less sophisticated way was trying to project that you know he was neither this nor that and people are too partisan and you know he just wants good government you know kind of thing and, I, you know, it's just so ill-suited to the moment.
1: You know, I'm trying to be, Let me. I want to be a little bit careful in the way I briefly respond to this because I agree with you. And there is, you know, I would add to that there's also, you know, there's also a lot of, like, you know, sort of, in sort of research infrastructure out there that's trying to prove that this is true.
0: Yeah.
1: Right, where people basically, well, no, 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 Americans aren't really, you know, so divided. There's all these, you know, really it's like this. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of like saying no, no, no. It's not about whether you like Coke or Pepsi. It's whether you like this third thing that doesn't exist that you've yeah. never had before. Bananas. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, well, but I don't want a banana.
0: Right. You know, I was and, thinking about soft drinks over here. Well, it's like it's like, and
1: also, I really, really hate Pepsi. And that's the thing that I think we sort of, you know, forget. I mean, we were, you know, we've sort of have this piece we're sitting on forever about negative partisanship here. But, but it's it's not even so much the fact. I mean, the, people need to stop when they're sort of thinking about this. It's not even so much that like you're so committed to your party in America that like you would, you know. I don't want to say anything, but you you do whatever for it. It's the fact that you hate the other party so much. The Democrats dislike the Republican Party so much and Republicans really dislike the Democratic Party and Democratic politicians so much. And so you sort of take that and say, you know, it's not they're not looking to jettison both. Right. They're just trying to keep the other one out of power. And the idea that something can kind of come in from another dynamic or another dimension and sort of say, yeah, but what about this? And it's like, yeah, but it takes a I mean, you think about, like, you know, party infrastructure, financing, getting right. you know, all this stuff. And it's like the Democrats here barely have that. And they're one of the two major parties. The idea that something's going to organically come up from the ground and sort of provide something to people that they're not clearly asking for. It's just to me, it's just kind of fantasy. Yeah. But I think it also is, you know, it's a symptom of the dysfunction overall in government that, you know, people are at least, I think, you know, open to have like sort of having these discussions repeatedly about, you know. This kind of change. But I think, you know, as we study politics, we, you know, we have degrees and all that kind of stuff. You know, this, that kind of change happens, but it's pretty. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit less, you know. Right. It's not an, it's not an enterprising politician kind of showing up in a state saying, well, what about this? It's usually a little bit messier. And I yeah, think, you and know. I just,
0: yeah. And I mean, I just think the, you yeah, the context right now just doesn't. Makes it very doesn't lend itself well, they, to know, that kind of effort. Right? Yeah, I mean the yeah.
1: McConaughey thing is kind of a perfect example. Was you know he went and gave a really really poor interview, you know, and really could not espouse a position on any number of of, of of major issues. And I think that kind of brings up the issue here, which is yeah, he can kind of say I'm for good government. I'm I'm not I'm not for divisiveness and all that stuff. But it's like yeah, but like we're having an election where we could talk about. Permitless carry. We could talk about immigration at the border. We could talk. I mean, something I would think is like, how about just running the state during a pandemic, Mister McConaughey? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's some major, major stuff. Abortion. We've got to talk about education. All these issues, and you can't. The idea that you could just kind of come in and say, "Well, I'm not really trying to like, you know, divide people." It's like I just want to
0: do the deal.
1: It's like, well, (laughs) yeah, but
0: yeah, it's a little more
1: complicated than that.
0: That's not really where people are, I don't think. And so, all right, so we will try to get that negative partisanship piece out. I was going to try to work on that before I left town, and I did not. Um, but we're close. So with that, um, I think we'll probably try to come back and do one more of these next week before this is all over. Uh, this, all, this being 2021 and the semester here. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Thanks to our technical st- uh, production crew here in the Liberal Arts Development Studio in the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, We make reference to all kinds of data on this. You can find that on this podcast. You can find that data and much, much more at texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin.